Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we will be talking about some executive leadership hacks to help you take command of your leadership journey and be ready to respond to common yet challenging situations that you'll encounter regularly. With me today is Emily Sander. Emily is a C-suite executive, ICF certified coach, and author of a new book titled Hacking Executive Leadership. Emily specializes in helping leaders get out of firefighting mode, drive their life and career progressions, and be a model of self-improvement for others around them. Welcome, Emily. Thank you for taking time to be with me today. Great to be with you. You can introduce me anytime you'd like. One of the most common challenges I'm asked about when working with leaders is how they can differentiate themselves from others. To me, differentiation in the workplace comes from the results and impact you produce combined with the experience people have when they work with you. I understand you've come up with a way to help people differentiate themselves that you call Swizzle. What can you share with us about this? Swizzle is a concept I talk about in my book, and I'm pretty sure I came up with that word. The easiest way to explain it is if you have a PowerPoint presentation and you have to create a new deck for an upcoming meeting you have, and you have three previous decks that you have before, and so you take the best slides from each one of those three and you make a brand new deck. And so you put it in the right order and you format it so it's consistent and make sure the content makes sense, et cetera. But then you take the best of everything in the three decks and you make a brand new one. And that's the concept of Swizzle. And if you expand that to larger concepts, like for instance, I was listening to a podcast with Floyd Mayweather and he's a champion boxer. He was talking about the trait that makes him the most effective and successful boxer is adaptability. So I thought, "Mm, okay, I'm not a boxer, but I can use that. I can swizzle that into my leadership and business saying, am I adapting to the market? Am I adapting to what's happening in the company and my team as best I can? Because if that's a trait that makes him successful, I can use parts of that and swizzle it into, into my own world. So swizzling for leaders is being a creative problem solver and being resourceful. So I think those are the traits that really differentiate or can differentiate a leader. Thank you. I really think adaptability is something that we've all had to learn a little more about uh, in the last year and a half with COVID-19. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's a key in any organization or even individually. A big part of finding success as a leader is your ability to communicate effectively to everyone around you, up the organization, down the organization, and across the organization. A common mistake I see leaders make is communicating to everyone the same way, which is usually the way that the leader prefers to communicate. What should leaders be doing when they're communicating, especially if the conversation is a difficult one or has the potential to trigger strong emotional responses? It's a great question. So as leaders, we're communicating and interacting with people all day long, right? So, you know, partners, vendors, clients, our own team and colleagues, et cetera, being able to communicate effectively is really important. And I think a lot of people assume that everyone thinks like they do and communicates or wants to be communicated the way they do. And that could be true, but you need to figure out what's the best way to communicate this message to this individual person. It might not be the way that I would prefer this conversation to go. So for example, I'm generally kind of more reserved and kind of thoughtful and like to have things kind of planned and collected. And I don't show a lot of big, various emotion, but I had a salesperson that I was working with and he was very emotive and, you know, he's sales and the thrill of the hunt and all of that. And so when I would speak to him, 
in preparation for going to a big meeting, I would need to really pump myself up and really get big and get emotional and um, rah, rah, rah. And that was what was effective for him. So if I were to sit there and kind of be calm, cool and calculated and say, hey, logically, here are the things we need to hit in this meeting that wouldn't have resonated the way that he would have needed to go into that meeting to be at his best. So I think having a sense of how you work and operate and then having a sense of how your team member works and operates and figuring out the best way to flex to them is an important step. And a concept I talk about in the book is called three circles. And if you think of three circles in a horizontal row, circle one plus circle two equals circle three, that's a great way to give yourself a quick pause in the decision-making process for what you want the best outcome to be or what your most favorable outcome is. For example, in circle one is an event or something that happens. I'm in this team meeting and Susie decides to get really upset and start yelling at everyone. Okay, that's in circle one. So then I skip to circle three and say, what do I want out of this situation? What is the best outcome that I can get? Which you might decide, I need to calm everyone down I need to focus people back to the priority and agenda for the meeting. And then you reverse engineer to circle two. Okay, what do I need to do or say, or how do I need to show up to give myself the best likelihood to get to circle three? So circle one plus circle two equals circle three. And you can use this in a variety of ways. In the example I just gave, it might be a very snap, quick, okay, what do I need to have happen here? What do I need to do? Go. It could also be something that's more planned. If you're going into that meeting and you have, you know, five to 10 minutes beforehand, think to yourself, hey, this is my my weekly team meeting with my leadership team. What is the biggest thing I want them to take away from this meeting? Or how do I want people to feel or what I want them to go do off of this meeting? And then, okay, what are my opening remarks going to be? Or how do I want to show up and ask questions in this meeting? So three circles is a a great tool and concept to, to keep in mind for all sorts of things. I like how you called out the ability to show up in a particular way. I think sometimes leaders tend to forget that and they focus maybe a little too much on that outcome they want to generate. Absolutely. Being a leader sometimes means making mistakes. And most people don't want to show weakness, relive, or celebrate mistakes. But a lot of good things can come from mistakes, especially the big ones. What advice do you have for our listeners when it comes to failing and responding to those times when things didn't go quite so well? Yeah, I think the fear of failing holds a lot of my clients back in in my coaching practice. So we talk a lot about that. And of course, I've experienced that myself. One concept and structure to keep in place is a failure loop. And that's just a way to think about failure that, that helps people. So if you think about a series of loops connected together, and the overall string of loops is going up and to the right, and I have a diagram of this in my book. And there's a point in an individual loop where you do go down. So you're going the other way, the way you don't want to go. And that's kind of the quote unquote failure event or like, oh my gosh, I didn't do that presentation as well as I would have liked. Or, oh my gosh, I didn't talk to that person as well as I, as I could have. And kind of going back down the individual loop. But if you take the learning and lesson from that in that stage and you say, hmm, how can I apply that going forward? You propel yourself up the loop. And so you actually turn it into progress. So you transform failure into progress. And I think a lot of people get really down on themselves because they're sitting in the bottom part of that individual loop. And let's 
be honest, it feels crappy there. You're kicking yourself and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to maybe admit to other people that this didn't go well or admit to myself. But if you can understand where you are in that process and then take the learning and take whatever lesson you want to apply going forward, you actually can transform that into, into progress. And I think a lot of people feel like a failure in the bottom part of the loop. And something that I work with my clients on is, hey, when you're there, that's actually a mark of success. When you're at the bottom like that, you're actually being a successful person because you're failing more times than other people will even try. That's actually um, a mark of someone who's putting themselves out there and is in their in their growth zone. It's a refreshing view of the bottom of that loop because <laughs> I would agree as someone who's been there many times and uh, mm-hmm. will be there many more times. It's never pleasant at the same time if you keep that mindset of this is a learning moment and I'm still higher than I was somewhere earlier in my career. It's all good. You mentioned something great. If you're feeling down on yourself, take, just take a second and look back at yourself one year ago, three years ago, five years ago, and you'll probably say, oh, wow, actually, I've, I've come a long way. So that's a good tip from you. Another common challenge leaders face is bringing people into their organization and onto their team. These days, with organizations running lean and being asked to do more with less, leaders, especially new leaders, don't get a lot of practice interviewing and evaluating new talent. What hacks do you have for recruiting and hiring that can help leaders build confidence in their hiring decisions? The two big buckets that I work with leaders on is our aptitude and attitude. Those are the two things that you kind of want to look for. There are a whole bunch of different elements that would fall into those buckets, but those are the two big ones. So aptitude is the hard skills that an individual would need in a role. So for instance, if you're in finance, you might need to be a CPA, or if you're um, a technologist and you're programming, you might need to learn you know, C-sharp and need to know that as a hard skill. Attitude, the second bucket, is basically, are you making people's lives easier when you work with them, or are you making it tougher on them? So do people look forward to working with you? Are they like, oh my gosh, I have to work with Emily today. She's really good at what she does, but she's always challenging. So I've heard it, I've heard it coined as um, the brilliant jerk and the friendly incompetent. So one thing you can do when you're interviewing and recruiting folks is run them through those two buckets. Say, mm, how are they doing on the aptitude side? And then how would they do on the attitude side? Would they fit in with the team? And sometimes you'll have a candidate who knows everything in the, in the aptitude bucket. So they have all the hard skills in spades, but you're like, Ooh, my spidey sense is going off. I don't think they would mesh well with the team I have. That is something you should pay attention to. And that's something that you should listen to. So nothing wrong with the company or with the candidate. It might not just be a good fit on that end. And something else you can use the aptitude and attitude buckets for is your existing team. So if you're running candidates through this filter, then you probably should run your existing team through it as well. So take a look at who you have on the roster today and say, okay, how is Joe doing aptitude-wise and how is he doing uh, attitude-wise? So what would people say when they go, Mike, you're going to be working with Joe on this project? Would you be like, oh, great, absolutely. He knows what he's doing. I love working with Joe. Or would you kind of cringe and and not want to do that? That's uh, another good strategy and framework to kind of keep in mind when you're both recruiting and hiring and also when you're assessing or working on team building with your existing folks. Yeah, that can be really valuable, especially during succession planning. We've covered a lot of ground here in a short time. What's the best single piece of advice or key takeaway you want our listeners to know 
so they can move forward on their leadership journey? I would say looking at each individual as, as a unique person. So a lot of people kind of say, oh, I'm going to treat everyone the same because that's what I would want to have happen. Or, oh, you know, this is what you're supposed to do with, with team members. So I'm just going to do this broad stroke with everyone. And I love managing teams and I love working with clients because to me, it's like opening a present and you're like, oh, like what's inside kind of what, how do I unpack this person? And, you know, what do they bring to the table? And everyone's a mix of, you know, different backgrounds and experiences and skill sets. And that's just fun for me. And I think a lot of leaders could spend a little bit more time saying, "Mm, let me figure out what makes this person tick. Let me figure out what motivates this person. I was just talking to a coaching client the other day and I asked him, do you know what this job means to each of your team members? Because it could mean something to you, but it could mean something very different to team members. So for instance, someone might be the breadwinner for their family and they need money. And that's a perfectly valid reason to have a job. Some people might not need the money, but they love the work. They really like the mission of the company. Some people might go, oh, I've worked with this boss before and I love working for this boss. So I'm going to follow them around and and have that environment that I get to go to every day. So understanding what makes people take where they are in their careers, which could change by the way. So someone could be in a job for one reason and then things change and they're motivated by something else. So having a good sense of that and having a good sense of where each person is, um, is going to be helpful and advantageous to, to leaders. Yeah, isn't it amazing all the stuff you can learn just by talking to your employees and yeah, just ask them. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge advocate for having a strong connection to managers, I like to call it. And uh, and having those conversations regularly is a, is a great point as well, because things do change over time and motivations change and feelings change about work and, and the role that you're in. So great advice. I really appreciate it. And I think our listeners will as well. Emily, thank you so much for making time to share some of your executive leadership hacks with us. If you're interested in additional detail about the topics we've discussed and more leadership hacks from Emily, please pick up a copy of her book titled Hacking Executive Leadership, which is currently available on Amazon.com. I provided a link to the book in the description area of this episode. In closing, I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back regularly for additional episodes.